Sixers Fix with Scott Ninnis. Join one of the Adelaide 36ers' favourite sons as we deep dive into everything past and present about one of the most storied franchises in the NBL. It's Sixers Fix, your Adelaide 36ers podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of Sixers Fix, your Adelaide 36ers podcast. Had a little bit of a hiccup the last couple of weeks, but make no mistake, everyone that's a basketball fan in South Australia, we're here for the long haul. I'm Chris Pike, your co-host. We're back and, and we'll be, be better than ever, hopefully, from, from now on. So make sure you tune in every week to our show because we'll we'll definitely make sure we're here. So the man you've tuned in to hear from, though, is my co-host, 318-game player in the NBL. He's one of very few people, I think the only person to be involved in all four Adelaide 36ers championships in the NBL. He's been a head coach. He's been a superstar. Scott Ninnis, thanks for joining me once again. Uh, thank you for having me, Chris. Uh, yes, you are correct. The only person to be involved in all four Adelaide 36ers championships, which I will tell anyone that listens on a, on a day-to-day <laughs> basis. But uh, no, a bit, a bit of good luck with with some of those. But uh, listen, mate, uh, you are talking to me here in Adelaide. It was 42 degrees here today, and it's mm. still 36 degrees at 9.30 at night. Uh, we're getting ready for a very, very long, hot summer and, and hopefully some pretty hot basketball from the Adelaide 36 Sixes. Well, let's hope so. Four-game losing streak was far from ideal, but what we saw on Monday night against the Phoenix was what this team's capable of. They just had that look in their eye, I think, from the start of the game, maybe from the moment they walked off the court on Friday night from that loss to the Wildcats. What we saw on Monday night is a lot closer to what we're hoping to see from this team. It was exciting, wasn't it? I mean, I think, yeah. um, you, you know, they came out, that there was, you know, Joey shifted the, the starting five and, and, and brought in uh, Obi Shea and, and, and Brendan Tease, and uh, initially... Mm. You sort of go, oh, hang on, is this a knee-jerk reaction? But it worked, and I, th- yeah. I like the fact that you, you, you know, you bring some role players into that lineup. So then, all of a sudden, Jerome Randall needs to be knows he needs to be more aggressive, and he was he was unstoppable in that first quarter, and uh, it set the tone. And, and you know, over the last few, maybe not just few weeks, few years, we mm. quite often have got good leads that just seem to we we seem to let them go. But uh, yeah, there was something a little bit different about the team. Uh, against the Phoenix and uh, you know even when it got close towards the end of the game I always felt confident they were going to uh, going to be able to go on with it and uh, you know fortunately they did Absolutely and we'll, we'll go into that performance in a little bit more detail in a little bit but firstly we've got a big show planned we've obviously got a lot to recap since our, since our last show there was those four losses which we'll touch on and then we'll go into more detail about that win over the Phoenix but we've also got a special guest and somebody that I'm interested to find out how 36ers fans do respond to us talking to because he's from the enemy camp, he's from the arch rivals, but he's probably the sort of guy that's difficult to hate unlike a Sean Redditch probably <laughs> Damien Martin's a little bit a little bit different I think Scott. Everyone over here says Sean Redditch, I, I, like, I'm, I'm a big fan, <laughs> I, I know him I, yeah, he was just one of those tough bastards you, you, you know, you had to play against but look, Damien Martin he, he's a bit like, a little bit like Brett Maher like he's, everybody mm. loves him but mm-hmm. you know, what people don't seem to realise that they would you know, they would tread over their grandmother if it uh, meant getting a win. They are they are the the toughest, hardest guys, uh, but 
they also have this ability to just be to be well liked and I think you, you know there's just the admiration that people have you know for Damo and and you know when he made that Olympic team in 2016 you know you, you don't hear anyone say a bad bad word about him but uh, let me tell you a little bit sick of uh, the Wildcats beating our uh, 36s uh, again uh, but uh, that seems to be a bit of a trend over about the last oh let me say 30 odd years so uh, <laughs> uh, hopefully we get to change that uh, re- really soon yeah that's hope so and we'll, we'll speak to Damo shortly and hopefully everybody enjoys that chat as well before we get into the show fully Scott it's been a challenging couple of weeks but that's that's just make it clear to all our listeners that we're committed to this show to, to bring it to you every week but sometimes life just gets in the way and when you have guest plan plans sometimes they go on trips and make themselves hard to hard to get hold of and then all of a sudden if you if you go to a game with you, with your young fella sometimes you just can't do much if they get sick when when you when you when you when you plan things for, for, for after the game sometimes sometimes there's just not much we can do about these things is there no I went to went to the game with my uh, my eldest daughter and my son uh, against the Wildcats and uh, was meant to be meeting Damo after the game for a chat but uh, yeah the young fella got a little bit crook and we had to leave at half time so uh, just got home in time just to turn the television on and see them beat us uh, like in the fourth <laughs> quarter so yeah probably, probably always good that I wasn't there but uh, yeah unfortunately it, it is what it is but yeah no, I know uh, everyone will understand that and uh, yeah. yeah looking forward to having some great chat well we've, we've had I've been really impressed with the feedback we've got so far our listener numbers have been terrific thanks to the, the Adelaide 36ers organisation for supporting us so yeah I think I think we're back on track now now Scott and let's get let's get into this show a little bit deeper um, since we since we last spoke there was obviously the four game game losing streak we had that record crowd night against the Sydney Kings where you know it was an overtime game where, which went down right down to the wire but then the performance in Melbourne against Melbourne United they put up 109 points which in isolation looks like the 36 has struggled but Melbourne's putting up those sort of numbers against everybody they're playing some great basketball right now as disappointing as that game was um Coming into last last week's game against the Wildcats, how did you feel the team was travelling even though a three-game losing streak wasn't obviously ideal? Oh, look, I guess when you take games in their isolation, you, you, you lose at home against the Sydney Kings and over time you go, well, that's unlucky. You lose to Melbourne in Melbourne, which is, you know, just <laughs> a lot of teams are going to do that this year. And then, then you lose against the Wildcats, which is which is no, you know, it's not, <laughs> that's not unusual, but Oh, look, in isolation, those games are disappointing. The, the Sydney game here, you know, we had every chance to win that game. Um, you know, we had two or three cracks at it. Uh, you know, as time was running out, you know, Anthony Trimmick, you know, misses a tip in that wins us a game. Um, and he was terrific, by the way. You know, it goes in overtime. And, and then I guess, uh, you know, experience prevails. Uh, but that, to me, that was a really disappointing loss. And uh, it was a Look, it was a terrific game. It was, um, you know, a really enjoyable game from a spectator point of view. But instead of putting, you know, putting yourself uh, on the plus side of the wins and losses, uh, you know, it, it comes a loss and you go into Melbourne and, you know, things go a little bit pear-shaped from there. Look, I, I think the game, you know, winning the game against the Phoenix and Melbourne was such an important win for this club. Um, you know, I think it, it gives them confidence again uh, coming back here and, and we play New Zealand again on Sunday and, you know, geez, aren't they imploding at the moment? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that, that, that whole thing has gone completely pear-shaped. But, uh, you know, so you, you would hope that that take care of business at home, you win that game and uh, then all of a sudden the season's back on track. So, uh, you know, it's just, I think it's just going to be one of those years 
is. You know, the the you know the the Sydneys, the Perth, the the Melbournes uh, think are going to be you know three of the top you know teams in the class. But uh, yeah. I think the Phoenix got brought back to earth a little bit the other day. I think they looked. You know, they've they've got you know on paper. You know, there, there's a lot of talent there. But yeah, you know, some of it's aging talent. I think defensively, yeah, they they're just about as bad as the 36s in some regards. <laughs> it wasn't, wasn't a game for the defensive purists. So things wide open. And if you, you know, can get some confidence, get on a bit of a roll, I th- really think good things can happen. And 36s seem to get a bit of that sorted out in that last game. And, uh, you know, if Randall's back to his best, um, <laughs> you know, you got the guys playing the right roles. You know, who, who knows? It's just very wide open at this stage. Tracing back to last Friday night, the game at home against the Wildcats, uh, um, I know you're a little bit interrupted with how much of it you saw, but you certainly saw the first half, and then you saw saw the, the final stretch once you once you got back home. Um, it was a game that could have gone either way, but it seemed like a little bit of ill-discipline probably cost the 36ers. There was a, an unsportsmanlike foul against Eric Griffin, which was really costly at the time, and, and, and Joey Wright spoke about that afterwards, which sometimes these unsportsmanlike foul calls are pretty rough, but that one, he probably it was probably the right call, and it was probably something that he should have known known better, so that, that was costly. And then down the stretch, as good as DJ and Jerome Randall was, unfortunately the men we're going to talk to shortly, Damien Martin's defence was probably the difference in the end. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it, it, it's funny, I was sitting next to Rupert Sapwell during the game and you know, he made comment that Damo was looking like he was running up and down the court with, with a stone in his shoe. You know? <laughs> <laughs> he was, but, you know, and, and you know, he's had some injuries over the years, but he just makes the right play at the right time. I mean, he just uh, blocks shot, you know, the steal, just he, he's always there at the right time. And if you uh, if you want to have money on someone, uh, be on the court and make the right play, go with him. <laughs> out of a, a lot of players in the history of the NBL. And, uh, yeah, he was outstanding. I, I think there was just that sense... In that arena, you know, that even though we'd started well and, and went into that, the thought that the Wildcats were going to come over the top, and they did again. Yeah. <laughs> for, yeah. for, uh, and, uh, you know, the, the foul, foul on Bryce Cotton's uh, three pointer by Obi yep. Shea, like I initially thought. And I'm not a big fan of the person that kicks their legs out and gets yeah. a three point, that gets a foul. And there's some of the greats of the NBL, the Andrew Gazes and the Robert Roses mm. made a career out of that. And, and, but, you know, he was just probably a little bit too aggressive, you know, in, in going after that shot. And that was a really big play as well. But, uh, yeah, and that, that's a sign of a great team. Yeah, you find a way to win. And, uh, you know, that's what the Wildcats do and what they've always been able to do. And, uh, you know, you, you, you got to just tip your head and say, uh, yeah, well done. But uh, I'll tell you what, I'm sick of losing to you guys. <laughs> <laughs> Monday night, it was a, it was really a make-or-break moment. Once you lose four games in a row, if you go on to lose five in a row, you fall to what would have been. It would have been three and six on the season. It's a long road back from there. So everything was on the line Monday night against the Phoenix. I think the whole group knew that. I think there was a real determination from inside the camp across the weekend. I think it started with Joey and it, and it probably started with the leaders. I think Kevin White and Brendan Tees had a lot to say over the weekend. And I think the moves that Joey ended up making, we talked about it before, I think Brendan Tees in the starting lineup gave them that real little shot in, shot in the arm to start the game. Obi Shea was terrific to start the game as well. But then it also sparked Eric Griffin into probably playing his best game. He ended up having a fantastic game. I think he had 17 points, 7 rebounds, 5 assists, a couple of Steals, um, and he also stayed stayed out of foul trouble. I think I think him coming off the bench ended up working tremendously. And then you had Jerome Randall, who started off with 15 points in that first.
first quarter. And, and really from there, it looked like a game that the 36ers were in control of. I never felt like they were going to lose that game. No, I, I didn't either. Even when the Phoenix got back to three, I, I thought we were going to weather the storm, which we did. I, I think you're right. I think, uh, you know, Griffin comes on and plays a terrific role. You know, Ramon Moore not playing and, and there was some conjecture <laughs> about whatever that was and it seems like there were some injury concerns. Coach, sometimes you suddenly don't have to play as many players and that rotation thing comes a little bit smaller. It's not necessarily a bad thing, you know. You sort of, this is it. Now you've got a rotation of eight instead of nine or nine instead of ten and and those players know they're going to come out and play more minutes and and I thought that really benefited a guy like Daniel Dillon, for instance, who's, who's... yeah, it sort of looked a little, little bit lost and stuck at the end of the bench over the, over the first few weeks. And I, I thought he was he was a really important factor. And I, I think that's, you know, sometimes you have an injury or, or whatever, it gives other people opportunities. And, and like I said, from a coaching standpoint, yeah, you don't have to worry about trying to keep everyone happy all of a sudden. And, mm. uh, you know, guys get to play extended minutes and, uh, yeah, it can do some really good things for you. Because, like you said, Dylan ended up playing by far his best game of the season. He's 22 minutes in the game is probably more than he's played in in total for the season up until that sure. point yep. and then also Anthony Dreaming best game of his career 21 points and, and 9 rebounds and both of those guys probably benefited from Ramon Moore not playing um, what do you read into the situation with Ramon and if he's healthy does he still come back and play the same role that he that he was playing before I thought it was a really interesting one because, you know, he he's suited up. He doesn't play. Mm. I thought his body language was, was fantastic. You know, yeah, he's still very good on the bench. Yeah. He was up. He was into it. You know, I guess when, when he doesn't start and then he doesn't play, you know, you, you, know, you think the worst. You wonder if it's a disciplinary thing or you just mm. – but I, I thought he handled himself uh, with, with class and, and I see him as that type of player. Um, it's interesting coming off, that, coming off that win, you know, do you want to – alter what got you there? Do you start the same way? Well, you probably do. Um, but, you know, for this team, for this team to be successful, if Ramon Moore is part of it, well, well, he has to be a major part of that. I mean, he's a he's a class player. He's a you know he, you know he's been a closer for this team. He's been the guy who can put the ball in his hands and, and get you that big basket. So, uh, hopefully, it is just a, an injury. He's going to be okay by this weekend mm. and uh, and go on to really help us for the rest of the year. It was also that Jerome Randall that was the MVP of the league a couple of years ago as well. Back to his very best. How important for this team is it for Jerome to be able to deliver these performances? is sort of night after night and from now, from now on. Oh, it's key. I mean, that's why you bring him in. You, you bring yeah. in a guy who was MVP two years ago. You signed him for two years. I mean, he's not, not getting any younger, but that's fine. I mean, it doesn't look like he's lost lost, no. that, lost that step. But he, he needs to be aggressive. I, I like the fact that he was aggressive early. I think in some games, you know, he needs to go the other way and maybe set his teammates up first before he mm-hmm. really starts to impose himself on the game. But I think, you know, probably with the fact that Ramon Moore was coming off the bench, he felt there was a need for him to score. And, and look, he is... You know, when he's at the top of his game, he's unstoppable. I mean, you just yeah. there's basically no way of, of, of stopping. I thought, in saying that, I thought Kyle Adnan uh, came into the mm. game and and yeah, was was the one that did put the brakes on him to an extent. And whether that was more Jerome sort of, uh, you know, whether he was a little bit fatigued after that, you know, scoring frenzy over the last, you know, most of the first quarter. But yeah, look, he he needs to he needs to be that guy that can put the team on his back. At the right times, you know, you can't come out and shoot the ball thirty times because that's just going to put uh, put things out of whack. Now, he needs to pick and choose his times, but when he does 
pick those times at the right time like he did uh, that game, uh, yeah, he's invaluable. Absolutely. Um, like we talked about, terrific and important win for the 36ers, but there's also plenty of news around the league at the moment, Scott, and I wanted to get your quick thoughts on a couple of things. You mentioned one of them before with the New Zealand Breakers. They went, they put so much hard work in during that era when Richard Clark was general manager, you had the Blackwells as the owners, Andre Lamanis was coach, you had Mika Vakona and Paul Hanari and these guys as, as the leaders, CJ Bruton, and then they went on to win the four championships. They were such a respected organisation on and off the court right across the league. Their culture was undeniable, it was fantastic. All of a sudden, that's just completely gone out of the water with a new owner, new manage- management. All of those players and coaches have, have moved on just about. It seems like the culture they built has all dissipated and then you bring somebody like a Glenn Rice Jr. in who already had a reputation as as a troublemaker and who had felt fallen to foul, foul of the law previously. He comes in as an injury replacement and a week later he's already finds himself arrested and now suspended and it looks like he won't play for the club again. Fly home from Perth and one of their players, Tom Vodanovic, the police is there waiting for him because he gets drunk on, on the flight home. What do you make of what's happening at the Breakers right now? Oh, they're an embarrassment. I mean, they're an embarrassment to the NBL and oh, Larry Kesselman would be like be quite rightfully asked what the hell is going on like you said I mean they had such an incredible culture and and, you know it was either the Wildcats or the Breakers that won every year for for a long while there and uh, you know I think Dylan Bouch has come out and said that if he was still still there they would never have recruited someone like Glenn Rice Jr you know with with the history that he had and then for a kid to be arrested when he gets off the plane uh, you know for, for obviously you know, like causing uh, causing a ruckus is, yeah. you, you know, you can come out and say, well, I took a sleeping tablet and had a couple of beers. Well, why are you having a couple of beers on, mm-hmm. on a, you know, like a, on, on a flight back from Perth to New Zealand? It just, you know, you look at that whole uh, coaching situation with getting rid of Braswell and now the head coach not a head coach, he's a whatever he is, yeah. a director of basketball. You've got, yeah. you got an assistant coach that's prancing around the sideline and, and I, look, I, I just look at it. And once again, this is just someone looking from the outside in. It's it's not a good look and, and you just got to wonder, you, you, you know, like what, what the hell is going on there? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the other big news, it's not quite confirmed yet by Basketball Australia, but it looks like it's its happening. Andre Lamanis gone as the Boomers coach. Brett Brown back in the chair to lead the Boomers into the Olympics next year. Um, are you surprised that that's, that's happening? My, my initial response was uh, I was really disappointed with the way, and, and once again, it seemed like the news uh, came out, obviously, before um, it was meant to be announced next week, and it was meant to be mm-hmm. a a collaborative statement from uh, Andre Lamanis, uh, Brett Brown and BA about what was happening and uh, my understanding is Andre was the one who initiated all this and Mm -hmm. and decided to step away but you know when it gets leaked to the media and then BA come out and don't make a comment on it, it looks like Lamanis gets sacked and then to to me my first reaction was he's the most successful coach the Boomers have ever had including Brett Brown and Brian Gorgian and Barry Barnes and Phil Smythe, et cetera, et cetera. How is that allowed to be happen? And, and I, like, uh, you know, as it, as it looks like as it, as it moves forward, you know, like it, it's that wasn't the situation at all. But why haven't we heard from BA? You know, it's, mm. the, the situation. Yeah, as we record this, we still heard no official announcement. The situation.
guys have been leaked, uh, you know, like, and, and now it just looks bad. And, uh, you know, look, uh, you know, Andre's a mate of mine. Um, you know, I played with him in the Southeast World Magic. He's built a culture with that Australian team that, you know, like you're talking about, you know, maybe a Paddy Mills missed free throw and an Andrew Bogut suspect call from playing off the gold yeah, medal. Yeah, he was, he was you go back yeah. to the Olympic Games and those two calls against Spain, we suddenly – which were disgraceful, by the way. I don't think I can get sued for that, can I? No, I've, no, <laughs> you know, no, 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 no so one is correct. Then we're playing off for a, you know, a medal as well. And I'm just, I'm really disappointed for Andre that he doesn't get to, you know, maybe capitalise on the, on, you know, the work that that he's established. And just, uh, you know, maybe he saw the writing on the wall, but I know for a fact that he was the one that initiated this conversation. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm much more comfortable with that. I just hope that Brett yeah. Brown has the time to be able to put into this. You know, like Philadelphia mm. could quite conceivably go pretty deep into the playoffs and, and yeah. potentially even play off for a, for a championship. Um, not going to leave him a lot of time. So, you know, the... I think if they end up going all the way to the NBA finals, he would have a little over a month to then be with the boomers and prepare for the Olympics because the Olympics start, I think, late July. The NBA finals go right into the middle, mid to late June. He's, if, if this 76ers team, you know, reaches their potential, he's not going to have a lot of time, like you said. No, and, and, and look, I'm, like I said, when, when this initially came out, I was my initial thought was, you know, if they're pairing to – you know, the needs of a couple of players who are, you know, because they're not happy about their lot mm. in life, then I thought that was a really big problem. And, and maybe yeah. maybe once again, Andre got sick of dealing with with some of that side of things. But mm-hmm. oh, I'm disappointed for him. I mean, he is, you know, he's done a fantastic job with the Boomers. As I said, yeah. he's, there's, there's no denying he's, he's the most successful coach the Boomers ever had. I mean, he's, he's put us in a position, unfortunately, we just didn't get over that hump to medal, and, and that seems to be what everything uh, is being judged on. But uh, oh, look, Brett Brown's—he's uh, an NBA coach, like he—and yeah. he, he has, you know, he coaches Ben Simmons, and uh, you, you know, like obviously that relationship is a day-to-day thing, and and mm-hmm. hopefully that that can can work out for the best, and uh, you know, he can put some things together and uh, you know help us get that elusive medal. And I think that's, you know, I think it was probably as far as Andre concerned. You know, he he yeah, you know, he wants the boomers to be successful and if if, if it's better off with a Brett Brown uh, doing that than him, look I know I know he'll be happy with that. So uh, hopefully hopefully everything will work out well. Just one last one on that, then we'll move on to chatting to Damian Martin. Assuming it it was Andre's call to step down. Do you feel like Brett Brown is the clearly the best option to, to replace him? Is, is he as good as it gets as in terms of a replacement? I, I think it is as far as his, um, you know, the fact of his position in the NBA. And, that, and that's the way things are heading. I mean, you know, you know the Olympic team is going to be basically full of NBA players. So it's a different, um, it's a different generation now. I mean, these, these guys have different needs. They're not just... You know, maybe playing for the Boomers isn't the most important thing in their life, and that, and that I'm not saying that's that in a bad way. I mean, you know, you, you're making millions and millions and millions of dollars a year. Well, your club's got to come first, and if the club or your manager is telling you, yeah, otherwise, well, that, that's fair enough. So I think like Brett Brown is right in the middle of that, so he understands that, he sees that on a day-to-day basis. So I think he is. I, like I said, I was a bit surprised. 
Well, I think it caught everyone off off guard. But um, no, I, I think he'll be a, he'll be a good option. I'm, my only thing is I'm worried about from a time point of view. Like you said, if if the seventy six go all the way through, they they got to make sure that that um, you know that support cast, and I'm assuming it'll still be you know Will Weaver and Luke Longley and David Patrick. I mean that that. That thing has to be really set up well, you know, uh, to, to you know to get them through to that uh, that point where Brett uh, can can come over and uh, you know it just just flows on seamlessly. Okay, Scott, terrific first segment. Great to be back on the show this week. Now we'll head into our our chat with Damien Martin and please, thirty sixes fans, just because he's the Perth Wildcats captain, don't tune out and make sure you you tune in. Okay, welcome back here to Sixers Fix with Scott Ninnis, our Adelaide 36ers podcast. Now, I've got a very special guest this week. He's in the enemy camp, and it's it's even it's even strange for me to say that um, for obvious reasons. But Damien Martin joins us this week. Thanks for thanks for being on. First of all, Damien, and, and secondly, I'm pretty sure you never imagined being on an Adelaide 36ers show. Mate, it's, a, it's an honour to be on, but you guys must have had a lot of people say no before you came to me to ask me to be on it. So uh, <laughs> uh, you, you've drawn the short straw, but I'll take it. Now, well, now, now, now yeah. Damo, you know we hate we hate the Perth Wildcats over here. <laughs> now we go back to the last game last Friday night. We're in a we're in a close game like we are with you guys, and you end up beating us by four points. Now. I know this is not all your fault, but Damo, this has been happening for 32 years. <laughs> now, come on, mate. Why don't you retire, pass on the baton, and let us beat you occasionally? The uh, the incredible statistic that I read somewhere, and, and you guys might have seen it as well, was I think going into that game, head-to-head, Trevor and Joey had the same amount of win-loss records against no, each right, other, yeah. which, which is amazing. So, And obviously... You know, Trev coached elsewhere, but the the history of Adelaide versus Perth, regardless of whether you know one club's sitting first, the other's eighth, it doesn't matter where either team's sitting on the ladder. It's always such close, tight knit games played with plenty of physicality, emotion, uh, and yeah, we've yeah, thoroughly enjoyed it over the ten years. I've worn a Wildcats jersey, and, and as you mentioned, it goes back much longer than that. Yeah, but it gives us a shits, mate, because you boys always win. <laughs> this, is, this is a problem, man. It goes back when I first started in the NBL and, you know, Cal Bruton was coaching the Wildcats and they, we'd lose on close games. Then through my playing career and then my very brief coaching career, and now it still happens. Uh, you know, what is it with you guys? You know, in all seriousness, you know, you've, you've made you made the finals 33, 34 years in a row, whatever it is. Uh, your ability to, to just win those close games is is a special talent. What do you put that down to? Yeah, I think there's, you know, there is a confidence and a belief that regardless of what the scoreline is, we're always a chance of winning. And, you know, we've got special players that buy into the, their role within the team. And if their role is, you know, essentially stepping up in the big moments uh, at the offensive end, then they seem to do it. So going back to years with, you know, James Ennis, Kevin Lish, uh, you know, Jermaine Bill had some big games against Adelaide. And then more recently, obviously, Tariqo White and Bryce Cotton. And then on the flip side, 
we've always said the backbone of our success has been defence. So if you're more renowned as a defender or collectively as a group, we can step up defensively and get some stops, then, you know, you do kind of go to another level uh, in the fourth quarter. And, and we've been fortunate enough to win some games. But I also remember, trust me, I've been on the receiving end of, of plenty of losses to the 36ers. I remember game two. I don't mind admitting the game two of the grand final versus Adelaide uh, was probably the most deafening crowd I've ever heard. That warm up with it kind of bouncing off the tin roof was the loudest atmosphere I've ever seen, I've ever played in front of. And we lost that game and the story goes I don't know if there's any truth to it the story goes that our owner Jack Bendat had actually purchased two business class seats for the return flight one for him and I believe the other was going to be given to Trevor had we won we <laughs> lost had to go to a game three and Trev sat, back, <laughs> sat out in the back in economy with us and, uh, and, Jack, and Jack left it empty so uh, I'm not sure if it's true or not but I, I do remember that flight home and uh, in a great grand final series obviously you know guys like Gary Irvin were sitting up for, for Adelaide and I believe uh, Adam Gibson as well so no I've had a, a lot of history against the 36ers and plenty of close calls I have no doubt about uh, Jack Bendat uh, not <laughs> honouring that uh, business class for, <laughs> for Trevor. But you, you talk about defence, and obviously that's that's been the staple of your game. Six-time Defensive Player of the Year, which is unheard. Of. It's, it's it, you know it's unheard of in this league. I mean, I've only I've only ever seen two people in this league. Uh, that can dominate a game without scoring a point or without scoring a lot of points, and that's you and Daniel me. Um, you know, was it something as a you know when you're coming up through the ranks? It was always a, you know always something that you looked at. It was you know what 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 advice would you give to kids coming through? Was there anything special that you did? Uh, I've always played with teams that were full court pressing teams. Even going back to when Dad, you know, he he was a rugby league guy growing up, so he had no idea about basketball. But I think one day he just saw one team pressing and assumed all teams must. So we were a pressing team from our early days in Gloucester and through Nick Miller, another coach all the way until Bevo with his full court pressing in my junior team. So I got used to picking up full court and always guarding the opposition's player, or usually their best player. But it's just one of those things, whether I, you know, the drive is to not disappoint my teammates or motivation is probably more so about fear of failure, more about than uh, trying to drive for success. So yeah, I don't really know what it is, but the older I got, the more the role was defined that, hey, get up full court, pick them up, try and turn them twice, get some deflections, and then get us in our sets offensively. So, yeah, I, I don't really know where it started from or when it you know, was the turning point that that's going to be who I am. But I do remember Darnell Me, and one thing I took from playing against him, and I may only played against him um, a couple of times, but I remember the first time I ever played against him, I uh, managed to get by him off the dribble. He was a lot older and I was new to the league. Um, managed to get by him off the dribble, but on both occasions, once he deflected it from behind and it led to a turnover, and the second time he managed to get back into play and block me from behind. And I remember leaving that game going, I want to be a guy where you've got to beat me more than twice to score on me. And that started from Darnell. And, you know, I beat him once at the dribble, didn't beat him the second time. One time he gets a deflection from behind, the other time he blocks me. And so I always remember Darnell from those two possessions in particular as something I want to take from him, as uh, who I recognize as the best defender in the league at the time, is, yeah, it's, hopefully I'm going to be a good enough player that you've got to beat me more than once, uh, more than twice, and to, to lead your score. And, well, and he, your chase down well, blocks over the years have become legendary. Have you got a famous one, uh, a favorite one? Of a, of a block? Uh, yeah. <laughs> 
suffering. Well, last Friday night, I'd imagine, against yeah. <laughs> at the end of the game. <laughs> Funnily enough, I, I can barely get to the backboard these days. We actually had a video <laughs> session today, and we're going through, you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly of the of the games played over the weekend. And then the last clip they played was a putback attempt I had uh, against New Zealand, and I may not have been able to jump over a credit card. It was the most unathletic <laughs> thing you've ever seen. No, I remember, I remember I'm like, that. here it is. This is my tip dunk opportunity. <laughs> and then oh, it was so ugly, and it was a timely reminder that I'm 35 and can't jump. So uh, <laughs> no, I'll, I'll take any block I can get these days. I got, I got a question without notice here, Damo. Like we, we're talking about your defense. Who's your, who's been your toughest opponent in the NBL? Who's the guy that really? Well, you probably don't want to admit this if he's still playing, but like, who's the guy that really, you know, you really struggled with and really, really had to really lock into to, to have an opportunity against? Uh, yeah, good question. Look, there's been a lot of great point guards in the NBL. One guy that, because speed, I won't say you can necessarily, it's, not, it's definitely not easy to guard, but speed you can make adjustments to, but change of direction and change of speed, you know, that is a lot harder to guard. And if you combine that with someone that can go off the dribble or pull up, um, you know, they become a very good player, all-round player at the offensive end. So, you know, obviously you're going to just say I'm biased. Yes, I'll name two people. The first person I was going to mention is Bryce Cotton, but I figure it's a wildcat. You don't want to hear that. Um, but he really does have it all. The change of speed, the change of direction. He can shoot the ball or he can get on the hoop. Uh, and he's got a mid-range game. Someone like uh, um, Jamar Wilson, uh, he was, you know, that kind of irky-jerky, yeah, kind right. of stand up, then do a little left to right, and then into a little floater game, or maybe a step, by, a step back. On a night where he was dropping his three, because of his change of speed and direction and some deceptive athleticism, yeah, I always really liked the way he played. Um, and so I'd watch video and be like, okay, why do I get out of a stance there? Don't fall for that again. You know, and, and I learned a lot from watching guys who more so change their speed and direction opposed to someone who's just you know, super quick from A to B. What, what about the di- the different challenges you get this season? Like you said, you're 35 years of age now. You've you've won six defensive players of the year awards. You you've won five championships. So it, it's probably understandable if you need to find different ways to motivate yourself. But I guess when you have a look at up against a a experienced guy like a Jerome Randall or a Casper Ware or or even I guess Melo Trimble now these type of guys. But then you've also got the next generation, which. I guess in 20 years' time, you'll look back on it as a real career highlight that you've got the chance to defend guys like the Mellow Ball and RJ Hampton. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I mean, the guys you mentioned, there's some very good players, and I easily could have said they were some of the toughest guards I've ever had. So, you know, Trimble, Casper, Jerome, you know, I've had a lot of really good battles with those guys uh, over a number of years, and they certainly got the better of me at times. I have no problem admitting that. Uh, but then, yeah, with this next star program, you know, I'll be the first to admit that on most days where I get to come home and sit on my couch and turn on some NBA, I love seeing former guys out there on the court. Today, I've clicked on the NBA and there's Terrence Ferguson guarding LeBron James. I'm like, how yeah. cool is that? Yeah. Um, you know, like, it's stories like that. Tory Craig, obviously, um, you know, James Ennis, whoever it may be, Paddy Mills spent a year with Melbourne. Yeah, it, it, it's fantastic if it's, you know, watching the Aussies playing in the NBA and I get just as much enjoyment watching former NBL guys suiting up now in the NBA. So there's only going to be, you know, more of those to come in particular, you know, LaMelo and RJ. 
you know, I'll be one of those old dudes sitting on my couch, overweight, <laughs> arthritic knees and ankles, saying, oh, "I guarded him," uh, and I'll just make sure my kids never watch tape of it. <laughs> I, think, I think you're just talking about me then, uh, Damo. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I want to ask you about the 2016 Olympics. I'm making that team. There would not be one true. Basel fan in Australia that, that wasn't absolutely ecstatic about make you making that team. <laughs> how, how was that? Uh, you, you know, just, can you just guide us through that experience and what it meant to you? Yeah, it was amazing. And to be honest, it, it goes back further than that to you know getting cut from the London Olympics. And, and when I was cut, I actually went through a really bad. You know, probably phase of my life from a mental aspect because it's like, and I kind of explain it now that I've gone well, you know, well and past, well and truly through it. That it's like waking up every day with a hand directly in front of my face and it just says failure, loser, and I question my love for the game, my ability for the game. Felt like I let my parents and family down, who gave up so much in order to put me in a car and drive me places just so I continue playing basketball. And after a few months of that, it was actually, um, you know, not to get all serious here. I actually got a phone call from Mum. She asked me to pull over, and I realised that's something serious was about. That he said and told me my dad had been diagnosed with cancer and dad was the one that drove three hours return twice a week during the weekdays to get me to Newcastle for training and then again on weekends while mum was at home with my four other siblings so there was a huge sacrifice they gave up and then I realised in that moment how selfish I'd been being so down on myself for getting cut from a sporting team yes I so badly wanted to make London uh, and I think here dad hearing my reaction about him getting cancer I burst out into tears and I think you know, I could hear him crying. It's kind of the first time I ever heard him cry. And then fast forward four years, when I got told I'd made the London Olympic team, um, you know, Luke Longley sitting right there, and I just thought I had superhuman strength, went to lift him up off his chair, didn't even budge him. <laughs> you know, in, in that moment, it was the single greatest moment of my life. And then I got to call my wife and tell her I'd made the team, and, and she burst out into tears, and that became my all-time greatest moment of my life. But then when I got to call mum and dad on FaceTime and tell them I'd made the Olympic team, just seeing their reaction and, and and for the second and only time of that in my life, as a you know, I saw Dad cry, but this time for a completely different reason. And just moments like that, you'll never forget. So when I actually think of the Olympics, the kind of the bitter taste of that bronze medal game, but quickly followed from a grin ear to ear, just thinking of everything that it entails, including you know, mum, dad, growing up, Gloucester, junior basketball, so on and so forth. Mate, I, look, I, that's an unbelievable story. I, I think, uh, yeah, the word legend is is very overrated in in a lot of sports. But, uh, mate, what what you've done? It's not just for the Wildcats. Everyone likes you. I bloody hate it. Like, like <laughs> you're like Brett Maher here, mate. Yeah, you're, you're the golden shot. You can never do anything wrong. But, uh, mate, Tell you, Brett you, to shake my hand with his right hand every time I no, play. Give yeah. me a little tap with his. Couldn't touch his shooting hand. Superstitious. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've got I've got one more question for you, mate. When I was uh, when I was looking at your bio, and yeah, we do a lot of research. Being the fourth show of this podcast, so uh, your your injuries: oh five oh six snapped Achilles, oh seven oh eight ACL, oh eight oh nine broken wrist, two thousand thirteen partial Achilles tear, two thousand fifteen broken jaw. Uh, 2016 MC, MCL tear, 2017 ankle, 2018 calf. Now, mate, there's a lot of hard yards on your body. Like, I mean, yeah. can you come yeah. back 
You come back earlier than anyone. Now, Rupert Sapple, I was sitting next to him on Friday night. He said that you were running up and down the court like you had a stone in your shoe. Um, you've got, mate, you, there's a lot of hard yards for that body, mate. What's, what's, uh, is, is this, is this it? Is this the last year or? Look, come, on, get, come, come on, give us something. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. That's a good uh, description that Rupert put. Uh, it's uh, look, Monday, Monday to Thursday is pretty hard yards for me these days, uh, but I still love games so much, um, regardless of whether it's home or away. You know, obviously I love running out of RSC Arena, but just yeah, the, the thrill of playing basketball, knowing that retirement is a long time to be retired. Uh, and I've always said that if I can play my role that's required on the team to help, I'd love to be able to continue playing. So I'm never going to retire due to lack of passion or motivation, but it probably be my body that gives way well and truly before my mind or my passion. So, yeah, there's, there's good days and there's bad days. Uh, probably a few more bad days in a, from a body sense. But, yeah, right now I just love the game way too much. It's a good group of guys. And so long as that's there and, and Trev and the coaching staff and, and more so my teammates are happy with the role I'm playing, then I'll keep putting my hand up. You just, yeah. you just don't want to give Mitch Norton that starting spot, do you? <laughs> <laughs> I, look, I, and I and I hope I hope he wants it, and I would I'd actually be upset in him if he doesn't have a goal and a desire to earn that starting spot even this season. So yeah, he actually makes me a better player because I know well and surely he's capable of taking that spot and probably could earn it and be well deserved. But that's probably also helped me on the court because he's a great guy. We push each other, and uh, yeah, I know that the inevitable. Uh, retirement or end is near uh, and whether he gets that spot before I retire or as soon as I do uh, he's thoroughly deserving of it Now Damon we'll have to let you go but just quickly every time you mention that that pain that you felt from missing out on London I just I can't help to feel a little bit guilty to be honest because I, I'm sure you remember that photo shoot that we did where I, I went out and bought everything to do with London that I could to do that photo shoot with and I it was a, it was a long four years of feeling guilty for, for no, helping to build, fault, build your hopes up it was I, I honestly felt horrible and I and that's why that's why I, I was just so happy when you got picked for 2016 because it allowed me to sleep at night again that was a that was a long four years to deal with that that guilt but um, when, I, when I got close to the Rio team there's no way Pikey was calling me saying hey can you get this photo that you're going to take Christ the Redeemer behind you no there was, there was none of that so uh, I do remember that photo shoot and even then I was like oh this would be cool if I'm standing in front of London Tower but yeah not quite <laughs> yeah I'm very glad it all worked out four years later but just finally because we're on a 36ers podcast interesting to get your thoughts you talked about how loud that arena was for that grand final a few years ago what did you make of your first experience at the entertainment center on friday night yeah i really liked it i think uh don't get me wrong titanium was great and that noise because it would ricochet off the off the roof was deafening and, and will go down as one of my favorite atmospheres of all time even though you know obviously i was disappointed we lost but yeah getting a taste of the, the new the new arena i think it's just a step above it's in a better location for access for people and hopefully they can sell the place out so i think they've made the right decision with the move and all of yeah no i'm glad they've moved but i'll always have fun like i have fond memories with challenge stadium out mm-hmm. here in perth you know sure. three and a half thousand people i'm glad we've moved to the arena titanium i'll always have fond memories of but i think they've made the right move to the entertainment center that's it for me. What do you got? What, anything? Anything? Lastly, you want to ask, Scott? Oh no, mate. I, 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 this, is, this has been fascinating. I mean, I you know I know you're one of the good guys. I, I made this comment earlier to, to Chris that you know everyone, everyone loves you. And like here in Adelaide, everyone everyone loves Brett Maher, but you will both do 
tread over your grandmother's grave to to get a win. I mean, you, you're, the, you're two of the toughest bastards. Everyone loves you, but like you, two of the. I just, I love that about you. I love the fact that uh, you, you know you are absolute. You're an absolute legend of this game. I don't say that lightly either, because uh, that word is used very loosely. I mean, you you know what you do without scoring heavily. I'm not sure you've ever averaged ten points a game in a season, have you? I would highly doubt it. Trust me, I'd be the most surprised <laughs> if I have. <laughs> and that, and that, and that's what I like because everything so much these days is going towards it's about me and it's about my numbers and about my you know anyway you know what I'm talking about. But uh, uh, hopefully there's people I know there's people in Perth and I know there's people around the country the look of the way you play and hopefully you're the role model that people aspire to be and uh, yeah thank thank you very much for being part of this it's been awesome no thanks for the kind words that does mean a lot and uh, yeah thanks again guys and Pikey I'm sure I'll see you around soon but no photo shoots you're a jinx <laughs> no absolutely not thanks Damon <laughs> thanks guys <laughs> Okay, Scott, th- thanks to Damien Martin for that chat. Terrific, terrific for him to give up his time and hopefully the 36ers fans didn't mind us going into the enemy camp. But let's keep moving here on Sixers Fix. Massive weekend now for the 36ers. We've got the momentum from Monday night's game against the Phoenix. That was a, a really strong performance, but it doesn't count for much if the team can't now back it up. So all starts Friday night in Brisbane against the Bullets. They're a team that they need they need to win as well. They're currently four and five. They've lost a couple of games. I guess Andre Lamanis is now, you know, obviously in the news as we talked about before. So it'll be fascinating to see what that does to him as a coach and also if there's any sort of response from the players now that all of a sudden guys like Sobey and Glidden and, and Kadeed were there to play under the Boomers coach and suddenly they're, they're not playing under the Boomers coach. But it's a huge game for both teams because you think 36ers and the Bullets are going to be among that group fighting for that fourth position now for the rest of the season. Oh, look, my, my words, uh, the Bullets will come out absolutely firing for this game. I mean, they, they need a win. Uh, you know they, you know they sort of find themselves in a similar spot to the 36ers as far as uh, you, you know. You just can't let this season slip away. I mean, it's only 28 games. Uh, you, you know, you lose early, you dig yourself a bit of a hole, and, and I think you're right. The, you know, what's happened with Andre can't be underestimated, and uh, you know, like a, a Sobi in particular, I think. Um, yeah, we'll be going. Well, you know, everyone's out there saying the only reason I made the Boomers is because I, you know. So I was playing for the Boomers coach, uh, and he's playing against his old team as well. I think, uh, yeah, he'll come out like with all guns blazing, and 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 I think the same with Glidden uh, as well. And uh, this is a really big game for the Thirty Sixers. I mean, yeah, any any game away is, is tough. I mean, we know that in the history of this league, yeah, wins on the road are, are like absolute gold you know that they get this win uh, which is going to be really tough uh, and then come back home against New Zealand yeah they can they can set themselves back on the right path and uh, you know really look at being contention you know to, to, to get one of those top four spots they lose this game against Brisbane they come back here and then potentially drop that game against New Zealand well yeah then we're talking about in the other direction 
Well, the thing with the break is then Sunday at the Adelaide Entertainment Centre is that as much as we can talk about the problems they've got culture-wise and discipline-wise and everything, the fact is they've still got a very talented squad. I, I think Scott Hobson will be back to play his first game, so they'll have their full import rotation back now, even though Glenn Rice has moved on. Um, they've got Finn Delaney back now as well, so they're getting closer to full strength again. Um, as many problems as, as they've got, they can't be underestimated. That's going to be still a, a pretty tough challenge for the 36ers on Sunday. And they're, they're dangerous too. I mean, you know, yeah, three weeks ago, you know, I was sitting here watching the game with the breakers with with Brett Maher and a couple of other mates, and, and we were like, "Mate, this team is legit." You know, they're they're going to yeah. be in. They're probably going to be in the finals this year, and obviously things have gone a little pear shaped for them. But uh, you know, beware the wounded beast. You know, <laughs> they suddenly they suddenly come in with nothing to lose, and, a, and a, you know, Corey Webster, who's capable of doing anything on the court, yep. and some really really strong talent. Um, and, and once again, you know, you know, maybe you're better with the you know, subtraction of a couple of players. You sort of come in, and guys know they're going to play play more and play more minutes and have to perform it's a really once again I'm saying everything's a a danger game but it's it's sort of you know it really really is I mean you would think that the 36ers with what's happened in the last couple of weeks should take care of business at home with against New Zealand um and they really have to, you know, they, they they have to they have to get this one in the in the bag, protect the home court advantage, and, uh, and then move on from there. But uh, yeah, I think this is going to be a really tough game for them. First Sunday afternoon game at the Entertainment Centre. Are you expecting the crowd to be affected either positive, positively or negatively by that? Do you expect any difference in terms of a day game compared to a night game with the, at the new building? I've always been a big advocate for Sunday afternoon games. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think it's just a perfect time for the game. I think you, know, you, you get to... You know, you get to bring the families, you get there, you're home for dinner. I think it's an absolutely ideal time for a game. However, you know, we're traditionally, we're a Saturday night, uh, you know, that's, that's when people come to watch the 36ers play. And uh, we're a little bit set in our ways over here in Adelaide land. It's, uh, it's, it's hard to sort of change the, uh, the culture of, oh, I love it. I'd love them to promote a Sunday afternoon game and make that a real thing. Um, mm. You know, a New Zealand, a, a good crowd puller, well, you know, certainly not along the lines of, of you know, your Sydney's and Perth. Um, I, I hope people come out to see it. I think it's uh, going to be a great opportunity to see, you know, two teams going at it that will be playing really, really hard against each other and, uh, yeah, it should be a terrific contest. Just very quickly, get your thoughts on the other games this round to come as well. Um, firstly, Saturday, doubleheader on Saturday. First up is the South East Melbourne Phoenix hosting the Sydney Kings. Based on what we saw from the Phoenix on Monday, they're, they're up against it against the, the league leaders. I think they took a bit of a hit against us uh, on on the uh, last Monday. I, you know, and I think defensively they they are not right there. I think I think Sydney mm. probably too strong in this instance. Then also on Saturday, the, the Cairns Taipans host the Perth Wildcats. Last time they played, the Taipans had that record win o- over in Perth and they'll be looking to back that up. They n- probably need to win these games at home if they're going to stay any chance of reaching the playoffs. But as we've seen and we saw last Friday, the Wildcats are tough to beat wherever they God, how, how can you do, well, how can you tip Cairns one way or another? <laughs> yeah. They're just, uh, oh, they're so, I love watching them play. I mean, they're just, yeah. uh, they're loose. You know, you just don't know what you get it, get it from them. Oh, Oh, wow. Um, yeah, you know, you know, percentages, I'll, I'll go with Perth, but uh, if Ken's win by 25, I wouldn't be surprised either. Mm, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, then on Sunday, 
also, as well as the Adelaide game, obviously against the Breakers, Melbourne United hosting the Brisbane Bullets. You would have to think Melbourne United pretty pretty warm favourites. Uh, comfortably, I think. Um, yeah, I think they're they're starting to get it together. Um, you know, they they've just got so much talent. I mean, they I I think uh, yeah, I think United probably comfortably. Monday night to close the round, another tough one to tip. Illawarra Hawks, they're still sitting on the bottom, but they're playing a little bit a little bit better. And surely you would think their third import has to come soon and, and you would think it has to come in time for this game. Then they host the Taipan, so would have only just played on Saturday night. But as you said, they're they're a real up and up and down unit which you, you never quite know what to expect from. Toss a coin, mate, let me know where it mm. hits and <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess you go Illawarra just because they're at home. There we go. So we'll come back next week and see how all that all that stacked up. But yeah, terrific show, Scott. Great to be back with you here on here on Sixes Fix. I think, yeah, I think like you said, with the support of the club behind us, and hopefully all the all the basketball fans in South Australia are enjoying what we're doing, and we're enjoying it, bringing it to you. So we'll be back again next week with another special guest as well. But um, just to close this week, have you got some some final thoughts to to leave us with? Oh no, mate. Once again, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, apologies, we have been on the air for the last couple of weeks, and and that won't happen again but uh, uh, just one little thing uh, this Friday night coming um, the 36ers 1998-99 championship team are being inducted into the South Australian Hall of Fame so uh, uh, we're being fated at uh, the LA Town Hall and uh, I know uh, Brett Maher Rupert Sapwell um, Paul Bauer myself Paul Reese and Phil Smythe are going to be there so that's uh, yeah it's, it's very exciting I mean, it's, it's, it's nice to have recognition of of, uh, you know that success we had. Unfortunately, it's too long ago. Uh, we need to change that and uh, you know see if we get some Hall of Fame potential Hall of Famers uh, for this current era fairly soon. 